Hello and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yes. How you doing? Um, I said that I was ready to record um, and like pointed to you and we're recording now and I'm like, I'm like in the middle of a Twitter conversation with someone right now. <laughs> like, I, I should have timed this out better. But uh, who, who are you talking to? Uh, I'm talking to our friend Angie Han from Slashville. Oh man. She's going to be thrilled. Uh, when she hears this on the, on the show. She doesn't listen. How do you know? Because I know. Well, then why are you why are you Twitter friends with her? Because she's Angie Hunt. She's so cool. I guess. She's so cool. Why don't she listen to this show? You know, cool people are supportive. That's what I say. Yeah, there's nothing cooler than friendship. <laughs> Coming this fall. Anyway, so um, I should uh, tell everybody that... Uh, I'm a bit under the weather, and my I have a sore throat, and uh, I'm a little fatigued, and so my energy level is all over the place right now. Um, so I'm a little, I'm both a little punchy and a little tired. So I, I'm sorry in advance if uh, my my tone for this conversation's uh, a little uh, off-putting. So anyway, just want to let everyone know that. And occasionally, I will be spraying some Kroger sore throat spray in my mouth. Now, are you going to make that weird that. sound that you because you just sprayed some in your mouth and you made a weird sound before? And I will after. try not to. The sound was uh, I won't. It was the sound of like, oh, I just sprayed something gross in the back of my throat, which sounds terrible to say. Okay, but uh, but yeah. So. Okay, so you got a sore throat. Yeah. I think I have effectively convinced Angie to keep watching Hannibal on NBC. Okay. So I think we can do this show now. All right, yeah. All right. Mission accomplished. <laughs> um, uh, now, David, not, you just saw a movie recently. Yes, yes. I um, I didn't get to review this for the site, and I'm not going to do like a full review here, but I want to mention, because I've been mentioning it the past couple weeks uh, on the show and on, on Twitter, where you should follow me, at The Pretension, uh, that I was very excited for The Hangover Part 3. So I saw it last night, uh, the night it opened, um, and it was... Uh, it was it was a blast. It was it was mostly what I was looking for. It wasn't as perfect as I could have possibly hoped. It you know it still has. So you're saying Hangover although, Three is not a perfect movie? Yeah. Well, you know the first one isn't perfect either. I think right. people forget that you know it's got some dumb stuff in it. But what the first one does, I think, really effectively, is that at no point does it let you forget the stakes that Doug is missing right that his fiance doesn't know they have they have his his fiance's dad's car mm-hmm. like the stakes of them not only trying to find Doug but like trying to keep things together back in Los Angeles leading up to the wedding mm-hmm. that I think the first one is the only one that has of the three that has consistently kept you aware and reminded of the stakes. And I think that's why it's the best movie. Right. And I, and I think there's a ticking, there's a ticking clock element to it. Yeah. And, and this one, um, it, it has that in a very contrived way. It has a very specific, like this needs to happen by 6am or this bad thing happens. Okay. So like there is also a ticking clock here, but it just sort of, you never feel like they're, you're, they're in danger of missing the deadline. You know how it's going to, you know it's going to work out, right? So that's uh, that's a bit of I, I wouldn't even say disappointment because it's it was the same with Thinking Over Part Two, mm-hmm. but that's that's the only really real demerit I would give it. It's funny, okay. This one, um, it is also uh, the movie that I wanted in that it is pretty grim, like pretty misanthropic, yeah. It, you know, which it seems to be something that 
uh, I think as the series has gone on, this is my like sort of grand theory of the Hangover movies, is that it's Todd Phillips coming into his own as an auteur, and I think one of the things that defines him is a certain hatred uh, for humanity. Yeah, mis mis misanthropy. Is that how you say that? Misanthropy. Misanthropy. I know how to say misanthropic. Is it lycanthropy? It's not that. I know. I know. I know. I know how to say misanthropic. Is it misanthropy? That doesn't sound right at all. That doesn't sound right. Yeah. Um. Anyway. Um. (laughs) That's neither here nor there. Uh. To steal a phrase from you. Um. But. Uh. I. I. I do. I do think that. In that way, the movie was very successful. It was funnier than the second one, but it was also. I'd say even more grim than the second one. Remember the grim, the, the second one, did you ever see it? No. Okay, the second one has a severed finger, you know, it has a uh, dead pig essentially exploding when he gets hit by a car and Ed Helms' character covered in pig's blood and screaming with a <laughs> facial tattoo. Like, kind of dark, like, yeah. assaultive stuff. Okay. And this has plenty of that, too, you know, there's... Uh, one th- one through line of the Hangover movies is animal cruelty. Animals don't fare well in Hangover movies, and I was talking with um, uh, I was talking about that with some of the people. I saw it with I, I went to see it with my friend Sean, mm-hmm. but then our friend Susan Burke and her fiance happened to be getting there at the same time, so we all saw it together. So we were talking about the the animal cruelty afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, because I don't think any actual animals were hurt. You know, right. it's a Warner Brothers picture. I don't think they sort of, I don't think they allow that sort of thing. They're not making Cannibal Holocaust. Right. Um, but Sean was saying how that's a turnoff for him. You know, and I'm uh, I'm a guy who loves animals as well. Um, but I think the reason it doesn't bother me, the reason I almost kind of enjoy it, is because Todd Phillips does it in a way where he knows it's upsetting. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't want to like. <laughs> Uh, you know, there's a brief sort of foray into cockfighting, not actual cockfighting, but cockfighting chickens. Like, all right. Like you see, you, you meet the chickens who are, have been trained for cockfighting in the hangover part three. And it, you know, as, as I said, it doesn't go well for them. Right. Yeah. Uh, things already, already aren't going well for them. They're trained cockfighting chickens. It's, it's uh, pretty rough stuff. And I think Todd Phillips knows how upsetting that is and is kind of, enjoying that he's playing it for laughs and like maybe upsetting you a bit i think there's there's a provocateurism to him you know that i think uh i guess this will be my defense of him you know art film lovers are okay with that kind of stuff happening in pink flamingos and a john waters Mm -hmm. film but because todd phillips maybe because his films have big movie stars and make a lot of money um, that that part of his personality isn't taken into consideration when people see his movies. People like, I'm sure there are people who balked just now at my comparing Todd Phillips to John Waters. Um, did you mean to say balked? <laughs> I did not mean okay. to say balked. I'm glad I did. Um, uh, but I, I think that's that's it's unfair to him. It's sort of you know. Last last week, I made the comparison of, like, there are perfectly respectable and intelligent film critics who appreciate the work of Michael Bay. Mm-hmm. I personally am not a fan of the work of Michael Bay, but I right. don't, um, I don't, I, I'm, I'm interested to hear people defend him, you know? Yeah. Or, or Zack Snyder, as we've talked about. <clears throat> um, uh, and so I, 
only hope that um, people, many of whom seem to have just written off the Hangover movies once the second one came out, uh, I, ho- I hope that I can convince some people to give these movies another shot and consider Todd Phillips as an auteur. See, and I feel like I'm... When the second film came out, I wrote something, uh, or before it came out, I think when it was announced, uh, I wrote something, not about the film itself, but about sequels and why sequels work, why the the ones that we like uh, tend to work, like, we like the ones that tend to work best, and though, you know, you like the second Hangover and you like the third Hangover, but, like, the the argument that I made was that, you know, the the best sequels are such where the characters themselves are the the types of people that get into certain scrapes that get mm-hmm. into certain situations and so for example like a John McClane now admittedly like it's very unlikely he would get into this many things but <laughs> I I will give you two or three movies because he is a cop mm-hmm. and there are vendetta issues but it's also just he he is because of his job expected to run into bad situations same with superhero movies or whatever um Whereas, like, stuff like the Hangover movies, like, it just, sequels work best when they come, I think, when they come out of characters. And a character, their personality or their job lends itself to believing that this would happen again. Um, it's one of the reasons, this is going to sound weird, but, like, it's one of the reasons why it's like, it's like Cars doesn't deserve a sequel at all. <laughs> the Incredibles, however, absolutely deserves a sequel. Not merely because of the superhero aspect, because, like, they would absolutely have more adventures. You know, and then the toy store, like the world of of the the toys and Toy Story, it's like their circumstances are always changing, and so it stands to reason there would be a couple of sequels. And so, um, so yeah, it's uh, so when I when I hear you like say this about these characters who, admittedly, are a little strange, like it it almost seems it's as though like Zach Galifianakis, it almost seems like he should have gotten his own series because the other characters. Well, are the, kind of their own thing. The Hangover. Uh, it's funny you mentioned characters because I was coming up with, you know, today while at work, I was thinking a lot about the Hangover movies, mm-hmm. um, and I like, you know, uh, I like that they're over. Yeah. I mean, I guess that you know they could always they could always make another one, but it seemed like the ad campaign and just what Todd Phillips and the cast have been saying is yeah. this is the third one, and there are plenty of references in the movie to like. It feels like it's over, yeah. you know, by the end. Um, so I, that's one thing I like that it's a series that ends mm-hmm. <laughs> at three. That's a, you know, as opposed to drawing it out into seven movies or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I was thinking about the character thing, and I sort of was developing this theory. I'd have to go back, I think, and watch the first one to see how well it holds up. But there are three main characters: uh, Phil, played by Bradley Cooper; mm-hmm. Stu, played by Ed Helms; and Alan, played by Zach Galifianakis. And I feel like. The first one is Phil's journey. Mm-hmm. The second one is Stu's journey. The third one is Alan's. Okay. In the first movie, Phil, whom we're introduced to right at the beginning, stealing money from children right, to yeah. go on this trip, um, is him being given actual responsibility for another person's life and well-being, as well as having to. Um, it's sort of like uh, it's sort of like this, the the movie like movies like uh, I don't know. Uh, I can't think of the names of any of that, where The Rock, like, finds out he has a daughter and suddenly has to, like, become a grown-up. Right. That's kind of Phil's journey in the first movie, is that he has to take, not only find, like, help find Doug, but he has to take care of Alan, who's essentially a child. 
yeah. which we see sort of mirrored in Alan taking care of the baby, whom he calls Carlos, whose real name is Tyler, actually, hmm. as we find out in the movie. I don't know how long it's been since you've seen that. It's the been a while. Movie. I do not recall that. Um, so that's Phil's journey. And the second movie is Stu's journey of facing... Because Stu is the button-down one, right. but also the one who seems, whenever they get drugged and go on these things, the one who goes the most insane. Mm-hmm. And so it's Stu's journey of facing the the monster inside him, or the, I think he says, I have a demon in me in the, mm-hmm. in, in the, in the second movie. And then the third one, which uh, I guess this is only a spoiler if you haven't seen the trailers and it happens literally five minutes into the movie, but Jeffrey Tambor dies at the beginning. Okay. Um, that's sort of the inciting incident that brings them back together is that is Alan's dad funeral. And so the third movie is Alan sort of realizing that he's, 42 years old and at some point is going to have to be a grown-up he has Mm -hmm. a line toward the end of the film uh where he says he actually says i'm a grown man which is weirdly for for movies as uh crowd-pleasing and 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 ostensibly light as uh you know or frothy or facile as Mm -hmm. the hangover movies it's a weirdly touching moment (laughs) <laughs> when, when he says i'm a grown man it's it's in the midst of a, it it's immediately followed like immediately followed by a punchline okay which i won't spoil but um it is a weirdly touching moment there's a lot of sweetness in this hangover and that was the part i said on twitter that it was in many ways the movie i'd hoped it would be and in pleasant in small ways it was actually a pleasant surprise and I, it, it, it had, there's more sweetness to the hangover part three than i had expected to find well based uh, on what i'm reading about this I, movie i, I want to say go ahead. before i let you talk um even if you did oh you're like, going to let me talk yes. sir um even if you didn't like the hangover part two there's a pretty good chance you'll like the hangover part three and that's actually what i it's what not I've, the same what i've read is thing. that like everything i'd read about hangover part two is literally it's like home alone where it's just the exact same thing ex- the exact same stencil where yeah. it's just to the point where even like i guess spoilers for hangover part one and two the person they're looking for who they think has been kidnapped the whole time wasn't kidnapped they like in both cases in the first one this holds up my my theory by the way in the first one it's phil in the second one it's Stu. Mm-hmm. come to a, a, revel, a, re, a re, like a revelation like oh i know where he is i know where he's been the whole time right we just have to go get him that's the exact same like beat is right. played, and just like and incorporating like mike tyson and just and yeah. even though it's you know like home alone 2 lost in new york and then hangover 2 lost in what thailand or something like yeah, that. Yeah, Bangkok. Bangkok. Yeah, and so it's it's the same thing, just moved elsewhere. And it's just like okay, but again, like the the characters you created are interesting enough. They're interesting enough that maybe they would warrant a sequel. But it can't be beat for beat the same movie. Otherwise, you know, who gives a shit? And that's and from what I hear, that's what some people find refreshing about the third one is that it's yeah. it's not the same structure. And it's not the same no. story. Yeah, but it's still outlandish and all that sort of thing. And it does, you know, it's. It's been a while since I've seen like a really like misanthropic uh, comedy. I mean, well, you know, what you should see is the guard with Brendan Gleeson. Oh, I saw that. Oh, you did see? I that. I did. Yeah, oh, I love. Yeah. I love that. It's very depressing. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, I, I'm gonna say Hangover Part Three is not that dark. Okay. But, right. <laughs> yeah. And then and like uh, like Bad Santa. I mean, I can't I can't watch a lot of these, mm-hmm. but uh, and I feel like. Um, I feel like in the loop is kind of like that, which is mm. very funny, but like it, it does not have a good view of people. I think. Well, this one, um, and this is a trend that started with the Hangover Part Two, uh, and it's definitely here in in this one. It's 
uh, as, as, this, as the trilogy goes on, they increasingly become action movies as mm-hmm. well. There's a lot more action-y type stuff in, okay. in this one than in the last one. And that's been a complaint for a lot of people that I've that I've heard, but I think uh, I think Todd Phillips does um, car chases and scenes like that uh, well. And there's there's one scene, I won't say what it is, except that it's set to the song N.I.B. by Black Sabbath, which is a, a great song. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know that one? Uh, I don't off the top of my head. <laughs> well, I was, I, mean, I was gonna do the thing. That it's like a run, running joke that you, like <laughs> that you start to sing it, and, and I you, <laughs> even yeah. if you know the song, it does not. Yeah. Anyway, so I'm not gonna do that. Uh, anyway, I won't. Um, and I know I sound like I'm coming from the defensive to say, to like to, to keep like um, anticipating people complaining uh, or not respecting the movie. But like, there's a scene that is set to that set and cut to that song, and I and I be by Black Sabbath, where if it were in uh, like sort of um, grittier action film that was playing at Fantastic Fest or whatever, it would be a scene that would be cheered. Mm-hmm. But I already feel like people just don't think of Todd. They don't give Todd Phillips enough respect to to recognize that it's a, a really cool scene. Hmm. You know, it's interesting. Uh, he he's just based entirely on just the way you talk about him. Um, I feel like at some point in the future, we should, or maybe we will just feel compelled to do a profile of him. Although at the same time, I feel like we already have, or, or you already have like just, <laughs> yeah. And I still haven't know. seen due date actually. That's the only one of his films. I, I did seen. see that. And did you uh, like it? Yeah. For the most part. I mean, there are some things that are just like really, you know, outlandish and it's very plain strains and automobiles esque uh, in a lot of its beats and that sort of thing. But, but the, the two lead actors really sell it. Like, I think he actually, is a pretty good director of actors, like really getting as much as much comedy from them as possible mm-hmm. while still requiring them to craft a real character. Uh-huh. Um, and Zach Galifianakis does really great things in Due Date. And he's, I mean, there are times, like, in many ways, like that character is just a collection of, of traits, uh-huh. you know, many of them uh, undesirable. But uh, but they still manage in the like against all odds they manage to find like a sweetness to the character and, and a real affection uh, and we we develop a real affection for him but uh, but yeah and I guess when the time comes I I probably am not going to see Hangover three in the in the theater uh, but when the time comes maybe I'll uh, maybe I'll watch the second one and then the third one do I need to watch the second one to see the third one uh, no I mean there's um... I do like the idea though of what you know watching all three and seeing each one kind of. From a different character's point of view. Yeah, and I think that's... From that... If you're asking me, is it worth watching the second one, I'm going to say yes. Okay. But if you're asking me, like, story-wise, do you need to have seen the second one? No, there's barely any... uh, I mean, there's a character who's like... uh, Anyway, I don't want to give spoilers uh, away, but, like, there's some stuff at the beginning that makes reference to the second one that you would easily be able to figure out if you hadn't seen it. Okay. Okay. What do you got in front of you? All right. Well, hey, everybody. I got good news for you. We got a sponsor. I mean, it's better news for us, but that's okay. All right. Uh, and some of you may recall uh, you know several what, months ago. You know ago, what? It is good news for them. It is. And I'll tell they you, get to hear about I'll this. tell you why. Um, uh, a few months ago, you may recall that uh, we had a sponsor, and it was an independent uh, comic book company, uh, and they were putting together a Kickstarter for their first issue. Well, it got fully funded, and now it is available. So here we go. Hit, exclamation point, is the debut book from Gentleman Baby Comics, an independent 
uh, publishing company based in Tallahassee, Florida. Issue one finds Connor Connolly, right-hand man to vicious crime boss Patrick O'Reilly, dispatched from his hometown of Boston to Hot Springs, Arkansas. The job? Kill two anonymous targets living in a suburban home. But when the time comes for Connor to pull the trigger, he realizes all is not as it seems. Support creator-owned comics by visiting GentlemanBabyComics.com and getting a physical copy for $5 or a digital copy for $3. Like Gentleman Baby Comics on Facebook for more information and updates. And I should say that there is also a, a skyscraper ad on the uh, BattleshipRetention.com uh, page no matter what you click on it's there yeah right and, there on the uh, right side right on the right side it's a good looking ad too yeah so if you click on you that that'll tell take him you. i mean you have to tell him obviously to go there we yeah. have to tell him where it is because you know what it is what's eye-catching it is you, you you say what the hell is this yeah i was reading this article i don't give a shit about that now yeah, what i don't is care this? what david has to say about before midnight yeah not me well i don't certainly <laughs> but um but yeah so uh and i and actually uh they were nice enough to uh send us copies of of the first issue and so i read through it and uh, and it was very interesting and i think we mentioned it uh that uh when when they were doing the kick- kickstarter that is very uh very noirish both in its sensibilities uh thematically but also in its look so i highly recommend going five dollars uh let's see five dollars for a physical copy or three dollars for a digital copy that is a, a very good deal so, yeah. yeah all right okay um Oh, by the way, uh, speaking of websites, tweakedaudio.com slash pretension. Uh, I won't go into the whole thing because we've already talked you know, enough and, and Hit is the real uh, star of this. Uh, this episode is brought to you by Hit, um, but uh, also reminding you about tweakedaudio.com where you have earbuds that are great. They're a low price to begin with. You go tweakedaudio.com slash pretension. You get a one third off. Okay, so All we right. were just talking about the Hangover movies. What's that? We were just talking about the Hangover movies. I'm for sorry, like I was totally 15 out. minutes. Okay. Um, uh, now those are new movies, mm-hmm. and they and two of them take place, um, largely in Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. So here's what I'm thinking about. Think about this movie, Swingers. All right. The opening of which takes place in Las Vegas. Um, which is funny. Okay, I'm already going to go on a tangent because that's Battleship Retention style. Um, Swingers, I think, is an iconic Los Angeles movie. And I think it does a really smart thing by um, being about characters that live in Los Angeles. But other than the first two quick scenes, one inside a diner and one inside John Favreau's apartment, uh, after those two quick scenes, we don't see much of Los Angeles, just these two interiors. Um, They go to Las Las Vegas for a big, uh, like it's a big section of the film. Hmm. So then... 20 minutes into the movie, 25 minutes into the movie, even though they're already Los Angeles characters, we get to have a big introduction to Los Angeles when they go home. It's a really smart move of making a Los Angeles movie by making it a Vegas movie for the like most of the first act. Hmm. Uh, really well done. Anyway, that's not the point. The point is that a couple weeks ago when you came back from your hiatus, um, you... We, we, we talked about we talked about what you did with your uh, vacation, how you spent your summer vacation, mm-hmm. um, and you were talking about catching up on older movies, like older classics, and uh, you know, or, or real um, what's the word I'm looking for? Staples. Staples is that the word I'm looking for? Because I came to my mind, but I feel like there's something else. Pillars, maybe. Okay, that that's good. Um, and then I also happened to mention in that episode the movie Swingers, and you said you hadn't seen it, right? Which led me to watch it again. Um, 
that that following weekend. So uh, I watched it again, and um, another thing you and I were going to do an episode on someday, and maybe we've already done it, is like movies from our youth that hold up mm-hmm. or don't hold up. Yeah. Um, and Swingers is a movie that like, and that came out in ninety six so i probably saw it in 97 i was a high school sophomore and i probably i saw it dozens of times i watched yeah. it constantly uh and haven't seen it much since um i maybe i watched it once when i first moved out here so it, it had been better part of a decade since i'd seen it and it's even better than i remember it as it turned out uh it's a really great movie and i was also thinking about uh, because of the episode we had done i was thinking about you uh and your project of watching these movies and I was thinking about the fact that this is a great Los Angeles movie. Um, you can go to the places that this movie takes place and even see some of the people, such as Marty and Elaine, uh, who play at the Dresden on weekends. Um, and uh, I, and I, so I was thinking about, is it possible that this movie, Swingers, which is, uh, despite being a really good movie, not really a pillar in the same way that right. The Passion of Joan of Arc uh, is, or the Three Colors trilogy. Um, but is it possible that that movie... I shouldn't have picked one from the 90s. Uh, three Colors. I should have gone stuck oh, with okay. old. I don't know. 400 Blows. Vir- Virgin Spring. Virgin Spring. Yeah. yeah. Um, is it possible that Swingers might actually have more to offer you personally than these other movies? Um, and I'm not saying that it does or doesn't, but I thought it would be a, a, a worthy conversation uh, for us to explore the importance of seeing classics mm-hmm. versus the importance of seeing movies that are more immediately relevant because they're produced in our time mm-hmm. um which ties into something i've been thinking about a lot lately and i've talked about on the show since it, you know it's been a couple of years since we started um getting you know doing reviews on the website and getting uh, so they're getting invitations to press screenings and stuff i i mostly see new movies now because of that yeah. i have i have um <clears throat> Uh, so I have sometimes pitifully little time to watch old movies. Um, so uh, that that's, I, I guess, sort of the topic. Um, I feel like I've done a good job of introducing it and giving an example. What do you What do you think of that? Well, you know, it's it's something that over the course of my love of movies and and just I don't know, just starting starting to really watch them in a real way you know you just you find yourself just accepting certain things even if the, even if it makes the most sense in the world you just you just accept them but and you never ask you just don't ask why and so like for example the idea of well you should see older movies and uh because like if you're going to like new if you're going to like movies and if you're going to like make movies or critique movies then you should definitely see Older films. You should see Passion of Joan of Arc. You mm-hmm. should see Beauty and the Beast. You should see Ali Furyts the Soul. You know, just to name a few that I watched in April. Um, I just recently saw Sancho the Bailiff. Like, you need to see that. It just all these movies, and just uh, and it just it goes without saying. And everybody, almost everybody, would agree with you. And and I'm and not saying everybody who is interested in criticism yeah, yeah, yeah. and stuff, criticism or even or even like making film and. And I'll, I'll talk about actors in a moment, but um, they would agree with you. They would just say, yes, absolutely. It just it, it, it never hurts to educate yourself more. But the question becomes, and I, I'm not saying this in any kind of disagreement, but the question becomes, why? Why do you need to do that? Like, 
like let's say let's talk about let's say Potemkin, which is a movie that I believe you and I recently both said is like the most important. Somebody asked like what we think the most important movie. Oh yeah, is. on our on our whatever an- anniversary we just our six yeah. year anniversary. Yeah, and so yeah, somebody asked that, watched. and you and our, our both of our answers was uh, was um, Potemkin, and so uh, so it's like okay, if that is one of the most important movies then clearly everybody who likes movies, we think they should see it because it is important. It changed it changed film in a number of ways. But but like in in some ways isn't okay, and I'm 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 really just playing devil's advocate here. Sure. I do not I do not necessarily believe what I'm about to say. But like isn't just the knowledge that it changed movies like let's let's stick with editing for the time being and the use of montage. Mm-hmm. Like isn't the fact that it revolutionized montage just the no- knowledge of that? Isn't that really enough? If that's right. the only reason you're watching it, then right. really, okay, I'm watching it because of that purpose. But ha- having now had what is that uh, ninety years, almost ninety years of movies since that revolutionized movies, like at this point, I can say the 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 change, you know that that revolution in editing pretty firm now like uh-huh. it's not going anywhere and we've seen hundreds if not thousands of movies since then that have capitalized on that thing so do we really need to go back to the very first thing like can you appreciate like if you're a mechanic or if, or if you want to like i don't know design cars or something like that do you really have to go back and drive a model t to understand modern car technology now i realize the art is different than just pure technology and science but like I know. So, but it's, you're treating it like, in this case like it is um, that sort of axiomatic, uh, like yeah. a science, um, and it's not. So that's why the answer to your question is no. I don't right. think you can, but it is, it is uh, worth thinking about uh, because I think. Um, well, no. Okay, let's let's spend some more time on this. Um, I, I I think there's um, <clears throat> more. There there is more to. Battle, the battleship Potemkin than just knowing um, what it offered and, and what it represents in terms of the progress of the technology. Because in addition to that, it's also a great movie. Right. Um, and the fact of it, it's not a, a, it it helps someone who cares about cinema and especially cares to you know uh <laughs> talk about cinema at mm-hmm. length as you and i um seem to enjoy doing uh once a week uh and no time in between i never talk about movies no. other than um uh it, it it helps someone to not only know uh that it was important but how that came about like right. not only okay so this introduced new this movie introduced new ways of editing that are that have informed the way that editing that we understand editing uh today but um it also helps to see the movie to see okay how did that make it better right it, you know um and, and that's why it, it helps to not only see battleship potemkin but see other films from that era that didn't right uh that you know previous pre- previous to potemkin uh the the the, the sort of more proscenium like theatrical approach to just like pointing the camera at the thing and letting it play out um so uh, i think that's that's why it is important but again if you are just treating it as 
you're writing a research paper on the history of uh, a film, then maybe you don't need to see Potemkin. You just need to read about it. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. So many people, and I'm sure, I'm sure at some point I've been one of them, and maybe I still am. Um, we go back to these older films, and we point to them and say, you need to see it. And I think after a certain point, a film being good and a film being influential or revolutionary, whatever, I think the line starts to get blurred. Not always. There's a reason that, that very few people say that The Jazz Singer is one of the best movies of all time. Now, to my knowledge, almost nobody says that. It's like the first like yeah. sound film. And so obviously that revolutionized film. But very few people, I mean, I remember, I think AFI put it on their first top 100 list and then the next one came out and it was dropped yeah. because I think people realized like, well, I mean, it did this thing, which was huge, but that doesn't necessarily make it good. Right, I've absolutely seen it. But like, yeah, it's fine. You know, whatever. But yeah. like, um, I've seen the clip where he says, you ain't heard nothing yet yeah. or whatever. That's, yeah. all you, that's, that's all you need to know, right? <laughs> yeah, kind of. I mean, in the sto- it does have a story. <laughs> that's, that's the Jazz Singer version of what you were saying about Potemkin. Right, yes. <laughs> you just need to know that he says you ain't heard nothing yet. Sort of, yeah. And so I, there's still a story there, and it's a, it's a fine movie, but it's nothing, I mean, compared to compared to Potemkin or Last Laugh or The General, like, it's just, mm-hmm. it's not nearly as good. It just has this one other aspect. And by the way, that aspect winds up crippling other aspects of the film. But anyway, um, but as somebody who whose favorite film for easily 15 years, if not more, was Citizen Kane, a film largely considered the best film of all time and one of the most influential. Well, now uh, it's largely considered the second best film of all time. Yeah, it, after, I mean, it's basically, yeah, it's basically just shit now as far as people are concerned. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's like I regularly... It's, like it's wearing last year's trends. It's like, <laughs> we're not wearing Vertigo sneakers now. <laughs> Take your Citizen Kane's walking. Alright, sorry. But, uh, so like, so I would regular. Okay, so I remember just on this show, I would say, I remember the very first appearance of uh, Jimmy Pardo, comedian and uh, podcasting luminary, uh, when he was on and I mentioned that Citizen Kane's my favorite movie and he was kind of incredulous. And by the way, he's not alone. Anybody I ever said that to is incredulous. I recently re-listened to our episode with Julian McCullough, which, by the way, is a great episode. He is a lot of fun. Yeah, he, and he's a delight on, on Twitter and on Vine. Yes, I, do en- I don't know about Vine, but I do enjoy him on Twitter. And so I, like, I really enjoy Vine, but I can't seem to think or talk or make reference <laughs> to it without being some sort of so- somewhat derisive about it. Well, it's, this, it's like six-second clips, right? Is that yeah, the deal? Yeah, it's Instagram, except... They, they're six second clips instead of pictures. Man, I feel like that's gonna ruin something, right? Like just when we like Twitter has already, I feel like ruined some things where we think in terms of 140 characters, and now we're gonna start thinking in, in terms of six second. Uh, clips. We only think in, in terms of 140 characters. If you know, I just wrote a thousand words on Before Midnight this week. I, I don't, nec- I don't have to do everything in 140 characters. Yeah. There's Twitter has offered a lot of helpful things and what what's amazed me we'll get back to Susan Kane in a second right. um is how quickly some people have like figured out vine and how to use it in really interesting ways people like friends of the show jason nash and johnny pemberton have both like f- like they make they're making like six second 
sketches, you know, and, and like Jason Nash is doing these repeated characters that are amazing. Uh, my favorite character is the, uh, the waiter who over explains the concept of tapas. <laughs> it's really funny. Um, uh, it's just, there's really awesome stuff going on because they're not, um, you know, it's not six seconds. It's all one shot. You can mm-hmm. like, you know, put together different, different shots. If, right. you, if you do it, uh, it's, it's interesting. I'm still kind of derisive about it though. I can see that. You're, you're a dinosaur, David. You I know so. you're, you're looking I posted at this... some vines from the Thai New Year Festival and from the, the Renaissance Pleasure Fair. Did I talk about the Renaissance Pleasure no. Fair on the podcast? No. Have you ever been to a Ren Fair? No. Oh, oh, they are a blast. I... You know what you can do? You can throw axes. All right. You just the way, sold me. People, that's what happened. Okay. Well, I was already sold on the Renaissance Fair, but um, you weren't here, obviously, when Josh Fadum was the co-host and Rachel Goldenberg was our guest, but... She was like, oh, I just went to the Renaissance Fair. And I was like, oh, yeah, I used to go. Did you, like, watch a joust or did you eat a, eat a turkey leg? And she was like, no, they let me throw axes. And I was like, oh, now I'm for sure going. Yeah. Uh, and I, so, yeah, I had a blast. There's also, I had a drink called, yeah, okay, here's the other thing. I used to go to Ren Fair in high school. I used to go to the Kansas City one, you know, the other side of the state from where I grew up. Uh, and I had a lot of fun. But I was in high school. I didn't realize there's a whole other level of fun to be had at the Ren Fair when you introduce booze. Um, cause I had this drink that I would never drink, except for that I was getting in the mood. They called it the Black Death. Oh, good. And here's what's in it. Uh, black cherry cider. cider mm-hmm. Black currant cider. <laughs> uh, raspberry mead. And chocolate port. It's... <laughs> Oh. it's alcoholic it's like super strong but also so sweet but it's called the black death because there, it has this like deep purple hue to it but here's the fun part that okay you're gonna i know you because you're like me in a lot of ways and i'm gonna tell i'm gonna explain this to you and you're not gonna think it's fun because i didn't either until i did it all right so here's what they do it's like sort of a tall bar that you order from they fill the cup to the brim with the two ciders now i know what you're saying there's still two ingredients left Mm-hmm. What are you supposed to do? You have to, without using your hands, put your lips up to the cup, and then you have to drink it as fast as they can pour in the mead and the port. And and uh, uh, here's the other element that I haven't mentioned in Renaissance Pleasure Fair is lewd blue humor. That it is constant. They're all that's all it is. It's just you know, it's sort of like Halloween, where it's uh, an excuse for certain women to you know. Uh, bear their uh bear their cleavage or what have you and then the women and the men just like shout lewd things at each other so here's the thing so they fill the thing up with ciders you have to drink the cider out like out as they're pouring in the mead in the port and of course they're chanting suck it and i know you you don't think that sounds fun and you don't drink i didn't as well. i didn't even like hearing it yeah it's so much fun like i was in line watching other people do it and i even like turned to my girlfriend and i was like I fucking hate this. Like, I don't think I can do this. I don't think I can do it. And then I fucking like, you know, I, I manned up, stepped up to the bar and I did it. And it's a fucking blast. Anyway, that's my tangent about the Renaissance pleasure fair. It was a really good time. I will definitely go again next year. Back to your point about Citizen Kane and Julian McCullough. Well, I'll be honest with you. I kind of forgot. Oh, anyway. Uh, so, and then on the episode with the uh, Julian McCullough, like I mentioned 
that Citizen Kane used to be my favorite movie, and he admittedly it's Julian McCullough, so he's make, he's mostly making a joke. Yeah, uh, but he, he says that I'm full of shit because that's the thing. <laughs> you know, to him, it's like surely this thing that is deemed important can't also be good, like or good in the way that you enjoy. Like it, mm-hmm. it's almost like it's almost like you know what you know what flavor I like medicine like it's uh-huh. it's almost like that I enjoy I enjoy drinking Dimetap is what I like and just like I don't know and so I feel like for some people whether they acknowledge the importance of something and then associate it with good or people acknowledge the important importance of something and thus say like okay it's important and that's why everyone talks about it certainly it can't be good. You know, well, like, I feel like, I feel like it's just, it's almost impossible. And I, I, I just did it with a jazz singer, so it's not impossible. Yeah. But like, I feel like it's very difficult to separate those two. Um, well, I think the thing, because uh, I was going to bring up Citizen Kane if you didn't, because okay. actually the heart of what I want to talk about um, is to go back to swingers and um, the word that I used was re- relevance. Mm-hmm. Um, and Citizen Kane's a good example. Does someone, a, apart from someone who wants to be a critic or a filmmaker or wants to do those things, um, does it, does someone like that need to see Citizen Kane when they can watch There Will Be Blood, which has many of the same themes, mm-hmm. but made for a more contemporary audience? It wouldn't There Will Be There Will Be Blood be more relevant simply become because it's made with. Uh, contemporary methods and uh, and a knowledge of contemporary sophistication about film literacy. Well, that reminds me of uh, a conversation I had with somebody back in uh, 2005, 2006 when I was working at Blockbuster and Sin City had just come out on uh, DVD and uh, one of my co-workers mentioned that uh, she had just watched Sin City and she loved it. She'd never seen anything like it. Uh-huh. You know, it was black and white. It had that. You know, it's very noirish. I mean, it's, I haven't seen it, but yeah. I mean, you know, but you know what I'm I talking do know about. What it just, is, yeah. you know, it's it's this this hard boiled dialogue and this uh, very specific types of performances. And she's like, I have never seen anything like that. I love it. And my first thought was like, oh, she just said she loves film noir. I've got dozens of things to recommend to oh, her. Oh yeah, there's hundreds. But but then. I stopped. So then I, I started saying like, oh, well, you should see this and this. She's like, oh, is it like, and she brought up a certain scene from, from Sin City. And I said like, well, no, it isn't uh-huh. like that. It is in certain ways in the narration, the hard boiled quality, the types of characters, but in its tone, it's different because, you know, the thing about old noir is that some people could look at it and say that it is slow and compared to Sin City, it is slow. And yeah, so that's I, don't think, the thing. I don't think those people are wrong to say that it's slow. Right? No, no, I, they're not. They're not wrong. But it's one of those things. Like I was excited that like this person said, "I've never seen anything like that," and I was excited to like introduce them to this thing. But this was film noir with a modern sensibility, mm-hmm. and so I could say, "Oh, but look at this," and they're, they're not going to feel the same way. I hate to put it that way, but like, w- like the scenes that she responded to are scenes that are very modern. In their in their sensibility, in their tone, in their editing style, and so immediately, I, like I was, I was excited to introduce her into the world of noir and realize, like, no, she doesn't actually want that, you know? you know. And so I feel like I felt like, oh, these aren't this noir really just became 
a new twist on something, a, an old twist on something new instead of a thing in and of itself that she wanted. Right. And, and it wasn't that relevant just, to her. And that's just her. I'm sure there are, it's just her, I'm sure yeah. there are people our age and younger who saw Sin City and did end up falling in love with film noir. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm sure it happened. Uh, but you know, I mean that, that person, I'm assuming that person is our age or younger. Uh, uh she's a little story? bit younger. Yeah. Okay. Because uh, I actually have a story from about the same time when I was a PA on uh, Robert Zemeckis' Beowulf. And Which, by the way, is the first thing I thought of when you talked about that Renfair thing. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, it does kind of have that. It definitely has that uh, lewd sense of humor. Um, I still have, like, because I worked on the movie, so, like, the little, like, chants that Beowulf's men, like, sing mm. are, like, I still know them. And one of them is, uh, 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 will will savage your asses and ravage your lasses. <laughs> um, anyway. Um, you can kind of change those up if uh, you yeah, want to. Either, yeah. yeah, it kind of means the same thing, I think. All right. Um, but I was talking to uh, one of the sound guys on the movie who has been a professional for a long time, and by which I'm just saying this to say he was much older than we are. And we were talking about Dr. Strangelove, a movie that he said he liked when he was a kid, when it came out. Right. And he said he watched it with his kids recently and found it... Not funny at all, and in, again, incredibly slow. Yeah. Uh, and I found that very odd that, uh, or really surprising at the time, that someone who even, who was the target audience at the time that it came out, yeah. he, he, it's not like he's frozen in time, which I guess I sort of subconsciously maybe assumed, because <coughs> uh, I was stupid eight years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, he... Uh, his, you know, his sophistication, I guess, is uh, one way of putting it, although that doesn't seem right. But um, he's evolved with, uh, as as film methods have evolved, mm-hmm. and he no longer uh, sees the, I guess, the power or the success of Dr. Strangelove. And that, and that does astound me, but the thing that... You know, it's it's odd in in this conversation. It almost sounds as though we are saying, and we are talking about like people who like movies, but they're not nerds about movies like we are. But like, mm-hmm. you know, it's yeah, almost that's something you will find. By the way, again, a little side tangent. Tangent. Um, if you're like a movie geek somewhere not in the industry, and you come to Los Angeles, or whatever, and get a job in the industry, expecting you're going to be surrounded by movie geeks, no. Most of them don't. Most of the people who work on movies don't know very much about them. Yeah, I have a friend who is, uh, you know, an actor, or rather, striving to be an actor. I'm friends with a lot of out of work actors, and some are getting some success. But uh, I'm friends with surprisingly this, few. Really? Given the, I have a, I have a couple, but um, yeah, yeah, I know probably like eight. So and like maybe two of them are actually like achieving something at it and the others are are they're working hard you know they're they're you know taking classes and that sort of thing but there's one guy who he's like a super sweet guy and a really nice guy and is and what i've seen of his ability he's pretty good and he's you know he's like in good shape like he's just he's good looking guy like he, he could do well i think um but in talking with him about movies you know i ask like you know who are your who would you say your influences are which is i asked that of people who are writers who, people who are directors and uh and he said and here's the thing i don't mean to bash my friend but you know this is a guy who's committed to being an actor being in film and he said jeremy renner now jeremy renner good actor all right oh, yeah um but it astound, but it's like jeremy renner 
he has been around longer than people think. He's been around easily since like 2000, like the early 2000s. Like, I mean, he, he kind of came onto the scene with Dahmer and then he was in SWAT. Um, but well, before that he was in an episode of Angel. Okay. But like, as far as in the public consciousness, like that's well, really, what are you saying about Angel? <laughs> I'm not saying anything. You know what? I feel like I'm insulting SWAT too. I'm joking. Of course. Um, I liked that movie SWAT. I thought it was fine. And I liked him. I thought he mm-hmm. was really good in it. And just, uh, I believe when he was nominated for Hurt Locker and Colin Farrell was like introducing him, I believe he said like, we did like a, not Daffodil, but like a, a I don't remember. What do you, but anyway, he, he said, it's like, we did this and he made, he said like flower, a, a uh-huh. flower. I, I'll say Daffodil, but I don't think it was that. He's like, he goes, he goes, yeah, we did this Daffodil movie SWAT, but he was really great. <laughs> Even he was just like, yeah, this thing, who gives a shit? But, and we all know it. But like, but this guy, he was pretty solid. I feel bad for the director of SWAT, who I want to say was F. Gary Gray, was it? Maybe, I don't know. I like that guy. No, I don't. No, you don't. Nobody does. I like Friday. Okay. But I did not like the negoci- Negotiator. Or um, what was the Vin Diesel one? A Man Apart. That's him too. Oh right? yeah, I didn't like that. Yeah, I forgot about that movie. I guess everybody did. Yeah, but like, anyway. So Jeremy Renner, as far as the public consciousness, fairly recent, like last four years, easily. Yeah, like this guy didn't grow up watching Jeremy Renner, right? You know, and so I don't mean to. Again, this is a, this is a friend of mine. We can talk about any, any number of things, and he's not dumb. So I don't want to make it sound like that. But he is. Certainly not the exception. Like, there are people It's like, oh, who are your influences? A number of people will say Daniel Day-Lewis, and that's fine. But they're not going to say my left foot. They're going to say there will be blood and Lincoln. Maybe they'll say Gangs of New York. Like, that's about as far back as you go. And that's the thing. I don't mean to say, like, screw these people. They have no sense of history. You know? But at the same time, it's just like... I don't know. Wow. Like, when it comes right down to it... By the way, I was wrong... Do you know who directed uh, SWAT? Who's that? Clark Johnson. Hey, the really? The from The Wire. Oh. I did not know that. Oh. Oh, that's too bad. <laughs> Again, I like SWAT a little bit. I liked it a little bit. But the, Do you uh, know why? Okay. Why tangent. Again. I'm not going to. I'm going to stop announcing tangents. It's what we do here. Um, but uh, I feel like SWAT was sort of in that, the, that, that post- uh, in in the wake of the matrix movies when lots of action movies were things like you know ballistic x versus sever and like <laughs> had this sort of had that sort of matrixy quality yeah. and i felt like swat was kind of everything out of everything out of blue filter yeah yeah and there's like they're doing their like sort of acrobatic and yeah. motion and swat was kind of like defiantly old school and just brawny yeah it was like the rundown yeah yeah a movie that we bring up a lot but even like the rundown has a lot of pep to the way that it's shot and edited yeah swat it just felt it felt like a throwback to sort of 80s action movies but in a in a good way i mean there's a lot of bad things about that but i think i just respected that swat was kind of uh self-assured in being uh old school yeah it's kind of it was kind of workmanlike yeah, as yeah strange as that may sound um but yeah it's and- got josh charleston and i like him and everything yeah, it's again not. It's really not that bad of a movie. I think there's a lot of good in it, and and Jeremy Renner certainly uh, a big part of it. But like, so yeah, so this like friend of mine, it makes me realize like I could say, and I keep trying to tell him, like, 
Oh, because that's the thing. When you're an actor, certainly, when you cite your influences, like this this guy, like he's I think he just turned 29. He could play anywhere from 18 to to his own age. But frankly, if he played a 29 year old, you probably wouldn't think it. Like he he reads young. Okay. So, frankly, even though I do believe that no matter what type of character you would get, you can still benefit from uh you know a Robert Duvall or or something like that. Somebody who has been playing older characters since he was like thirty two. Um, right. And but so, like, can I take your friend's side right here? Okay. Uh, that in, in a way that like fits my sort of argument, I guess, is that. Um, if this guy goes around to auditions acting the way that William Holden did, he's not going to get parts. Exactly. And so that's what I was going to say. So, like, I, I do think that you can learn from things that aren't even directly like you um, or like what you would do or what it will be asked of you. I think you can learn from anything. Like, admit it, like, he's looking at what younger actors are doing and what is expected of younger actors. You know, if he's going to get any roles like like you said, like he's not going to go out and deliver a Bogart-like performance. Mm-hmm. And so part of me is thinking, okay, all right, well let's see, let's let's think here. It's like, okay, so what are some younger performances? Like some maybe some classic younger performances. So I recommended like Paul Newman in The Hustler. But that's the thing, which is a, he's certainly young and the nature of that character is that he is young and brash and all that sort mm-hmm. of thing. And while I do think that he would, that my friend would stand to gain something from seeing that, when it comes right down to it, it was a different style of acting, even though it was modern for the time. For the time, yeah. Even now, you does, look back on it, and it, it seems kind of ha- kind of ham-fisted and dated. And so when it, like, so I could spend all my time being upset with my friend and being like, oh, he has no respect, but just like, well, people don't want that anymore. Not everyone's, they're not going to be making Far From Heaven. You know, like they're they're trying to make modern things. So I'm going to learn from modern actors. And so, and it's just like, and when you only have so many hours in a day and you can only watch one movie, are you going to watch a movie from 1953? Mm-hmm. Or are you going to watch a movie from 2007 knowing full well that they're going to want 2007, right, the casting right. directors. And so, like... It, right, like I'm going to tell another story that is essentially making the exact same point, but it's okay. a story that I like that has little to do with movies. Um, uh, my girlfriend and I were recently watching some Family Feud in a hotel hotel room. Always a good idea. I love um, Family Feud. Yeah. Um, I call it the feud, David. And this was uh, this was a Steve Harvey episode, which is not my favorite. Mm, yeah. John uh, O'Hurley is better. Uh, yeah, I did like him. Um, anyway, but... Well, the question was like we asked, you know, hundred people, wherever, like what, who? I'm trying to remember exactly how they um, phrased it, but like the most beautiful or recognizable celebrity female bodies of history in history, mm-hmm. right? And um, every time the question came around to one of the members of the family who's like 20 years old, mm-hmm. and he says like Jessica Alba. Which is like the answers are all Marilyn Monroe, Marilyn Monroe and that yeah. that sort. But like, also, is this guy gonna look this twenty year old gonna look at a picture of Sophia Loren and be like hubba hubba or whatever? I mean, yeah. he should obviously because she's beautiful. But like, tastes change. Je- yeah. Jessica Alba is probably more attractive to to this guy than Sophia Loren. Again, yeah. I'm an old soul, so I think Sophia Loren wins. But I also don't like to. I also feel just icky, narrowing women down to how they look. But that was the that was the question here. Yeah, and so it's just. But that's that's an example. So like we could spend all of our time being like, you know, 
old guys and and like kind of crapping on this guy being like ah you don't know what beauty is it's just like well, what the hell are you talking about? Like, <laughs> there are people who'd be like, ah, yes, this Marilyn Monroe's good, but that she's no Cleopatra or whatever. <laughs> and just like, <laughs> I don't know, I had to pick somebody old and beautiful. <laughs> and so, uh, so that's the thing. So, it, so it, it sounds as though we are making the argument that older films aren't relevant, which I guess we are making that argument. I think it depends on... Uh, on who the person uh, yeah, is, certainly. yeah, yeah. On what you want to get at. I feel like we're dangerously close to coming to a conclusion, which is not a battleship pretension style, right. but it is fitting into the timeline of us wrapping up this episode in a few minutes. Okay. Um, it, it seems like it depends on you have to sort of like people say consider the source. Well, in this, it's the opposite. Consider the recipient. Mm-hmm. It, you know, like your your misadventure with your coworker. There, you know, consider what this person wants to get out of film. You have right. to like. Uh, not everyone who loves film has to love it the same way that you do. That's right. a lesson that I feel I keep thinking I've learned and then I sort of keep learning over and over again ever since film school. Mm-hmm. Um, that uh, and, and yeah, it started with, with film school with people being in, really into Wes Anderson that I didn't, you know, which I didn't get, still mostly don't. But now with us being sort of uh, internet uh, movie, I don't know, having uh, being a part of that community mm-hmm. to whatever extent we are um there's a lot of the internet has a lot of fandom for you know uh uh genre stuff or comic book stuff or you know this stuff that has never meant much to me right um and that's so that, when i say i keep learning that lesson over and over again uh that's that's what i mean i keep learning that people can feel just as passionately as i do about film but think of it in a different way or appreciate different things about it. And I need, I keep learning the lesson that I need to embrace that. And that actually can help me learn more about film, but I'm getting off the point here, uh, which is that it's, uh, it's okay for someone to, uh, think there'll be blood was awesome and not have any interest in seeing citizen Kane. Right. And what I will say though, is that, in general, like if you let's say you you like movies, and and you and you just and you love No Country for Old Men, There Will Be Blood, um, I don't know, like Slumdog Millionaire, or just any uh, Social Network, just any number of of movies, you know, fairly recent, and you just like rattle off some of your favorite movies, and they're genuinely good, and then you and you're able to talk about them like in an intelligent way, and like really break them down about you know and and speak insightfully about them. Um, you know, one, one thing that I will say is, okay, I have an analogy. It's a weird analogy. Um, and one that's, uh, steeped in my, uh, churchy nature. And so, um, <laughs> the, uh, okay. Wait, do, do you guys call it churchy? Sometimes. <laughs> that's funny. Oh, I like that. And so, uh, years ago, uh, I went to a church. I was going to a church in Chicago, and we uh, started doing. Uh, the, the, there was like a drama group that would do like little sketches every Sunday, and and those were fine. Uh, but then we decided like we want we wanted to do something a little different. We wanted to do actual plays, and we would do them like I think two weekends in a row: Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Oh, I'm sorry, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And so like, um, and we decided well we don't want these to be Christian plays. Like we want them to be. Good plays, maybe plays that people kind of know mm-hmm. by and large. So the first year we did uh, the Boys Next Door, 
which is not an overtly Christian play, but there's a lot of things that quote unquote Christians would approve of. Right. But everyone would approve of. Is that the one that also has the line, she, she's not no skinny mini herself? Uh, yes. <laughs> which yes. I still think of often. Did you see that? That yeah, play? Yeah. That performance? Oh, okay. Yeah. And so like, and that was great. I really enjoyed it. Like my, my first thought, okay, because I am who I am, which is to say a dick and I tend, <laughs> and I tend to be a dick to my fellow Christians as well maybe exclusively and just uh part of me is like it's like all right this was a good experience we did something that is not overtly christian admittedly we did something that is not going to offend anybody the next year i think you were gone by then i think you moved out to okay. los angeles we did a play called the night hank williams died uh-huh. now this one somebody could watch it and say there is no point like it is it is a a character piece basically uh-huh. um in which, like, you you can't even really look at it and say, like, oh, it's a cautionary tale. It's not. It's just characters and relationships. I loved it. Uh-huh. There was some stuff, like, some slight language that we wound up cutting out. I would have preferred not to, but that's that's me. I reckon, it, Part of me is just like, I'm just happy that we're doing this. Uh-huh. You know, it's fine. And I, I loved being a part of it. I love the fact that we did it. And I, I, I had such respect for the, the people that made that decision. Um, but what was interesting is <laughs> I don't necessarily like to make fun of or bash fellow Christians on this show. I'll do it on my other show, but not this one. But anyway, the but the 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 rehearsal process was like plagued with like people like little spats and stuff. It was very frustrating. Huh. And come to find out one of the reasons was kind of this underlying current of people involved in the play not knowing totally why we were doing it. Now, I hate to put it this way, but for somebody like myself and a handful of other people, just the fact that we were doing it and that these were interesting characters and it was a good play, that was enough for us. But some people could not square this. Like, why is a church doing this? It's not necessarily anti-church or anti-Christianity. Why are, but what, is it pro this? Like, what are we doing? Why are we, why is a church doing this play specifically? And so, ugh, it was so frustrating. I was gone. I was out of town. I missed one rehearsal, and that was the rehearsal in which the rehearsal itself stopped, and it turned into a two-hour discussion of why are we doing this. I'm like, that's the one I miss. That's the one I would have loved to be there because it wasn't it wasn't an argument. But one person said like, oh, so like, are we doing it so that you know we can bring people in, and then like, then like afterwards we can talk to them about you know the church, and it's just like, and. This And this person is somebody that I remember liking and respecting, and I loved the work that he was doing as an actor. But, like, it was that idea of, like, it literally was just a means to an end. There was nothing in and of itself. Now, this is a weird analogy to make, but there there have been times in the past when, like, when I talk to people about, like, why they should see older movies. Now, this is years ago, like, high school, mm-hmm. early, early college. And I would often say, like, well, you know, like, when you see... Like when you see the un- uh, okay, we'll we'll go back to Potemkin. When you see the Untouchables, and you see that sequence in Grand Central Station of the baby carriage going down the stairs, like that's a reference to this movie, and you're not going to know that unless you see this movie. Like I literally was saying, like the only purpose to see this older movie is to is so that you understand this other thing that right. you're much more interested in, or, and just like like that's the vibe that I that I get is this idea. It's like oh, this thing has no merit. 
it only leads to a conversation that does have merit. I, I know it's a weird analogy to make, but it's just like, no, 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 don't devalue this thing. Yeah, yeah. It it has plenty of value on its own. It's not merely that like, like well, some some modern directors uh, have an appreciation for older films, and so you should appreciate older films if only to meet these new directors where they're at. It's like, no, there's so much more to that, but I can't even put my finger on the inherent value of anything older. Like you could view it as irrelevant, but the thing is like, if you love, there'll be blood. If you love like these, you know, like newer movies that maybe have some of the same sensibilities, like by all means go back and watch Citizen Kane because you're not going to, my parents always said like, if you learn something, you're not going to be a lesser person for that. You might be out a little bit of time in your day, uh-huh. but like that's something that becomes a part of you and you carry with you. And that, whether it's in a way that you're conscious of or not conscious of, you will carry that with you into modern movies you see or interactions you have with people that have nothing to do with movies. And so like, yeah. I know it sounds weird. Like we've given a lot of very concrete examples why Older movies are not "quote unquote" relevant, and the reasons why they are relevant—they're not as easy to verbalize because it's almost an abstract thing. Because like anything that you take into any bit of art—it could be a book, it could be a painting, it could be a movie—old, new—it doesn't matter. Anything you take into yourself becomes a part of you, and you ingest it, and you absorb it, and it comes out in ways that you can't possibly understand. So why would you cut yourself off from something older? Yeah, and because it's hard to understand, I think that's why I think we should, if we want people to watch older movies, we should sort of just be content to lead by example and not right. get strident about it. Like like you and I, I'm sure, and plenty of our listeners, I'm sure, had done at younger ages. Absolutely. Or I'm sure we have, I'm sure we have listeners who are young now and are assholes. <laughs> but that's okay. Probably. Yeah, you, I was an asshole when I was your age. I'm an asshole now. I'm just less of one, I hope. I hope that I'm a little bit less of an asshole every day. I think absolutely. That's, and, then, and then the day that... That's then, Thoreau. No, that's Ralph Waldo Emerson. That's who it is. That's, yeah. And then the day when you finally am like, you know what? I'm not an asshole. Hey, my heart, my heart hurts. And then, <laughs> and then you die. On that note, I think uh, we should... Uh, leave you to, uh, to to ponder this on your own. So you can find us at battleshippretension.com. You can email us david at battleshippretension.com or tyler at battleshippretension.com. You can follow me on Twitter at The Pretension. Follow Tyler at More Lessons. That's the official Twitter of his other podcast, More Than One Lesson, which is at morethanonelesson.com. My other podcasts are the... Uh, my main other podcast is the uh, weekly television show uh, or television podcast... I'm not sure how I should say that. Television discussion podcast. That sounds good. Uh, with with King of TV, King of TV, Paul Goebel. It's called Hey, Watch This with Paul and David. This week we broke from our format and uh, we took a look uh, uh, and had a two-hour discussion about all the uh, pilots that are going to be showing up in the various fall schedules. So that will be uh, a lot of fun because we obviously hadn't seen any of them. They won't be out until the fall. So uh, that was a fun couple of hours. You don't have to listen to it all at once, but you could. Uh, so that's all. Thanks for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet. 